0: KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu.
1: Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Thursday, July 8th, San Diego getting microgrid technology. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. COVID-19 cases are increasing in California again, and health officials are blaming the highly infectious Delta variant. The latest data from the state's public health department shows that in June, the Delta variant became the dominant strain in the state. Governor Gavin Newsom says that's largely due to the number of unvaccinated people.
2: If you've been hesitant, just consider the fact that the vast majority of folks, almost without exception, everybody that's getting hospitalized or people that have lost their lives, have been hospitalized or lost their lives because they haven't been vaccinated, period, full stop.
1: Despite losing a congressional seat for the first time ever, California is not, in fact, having a mass exodus of people. That's according to a new study from the University of California. The research reviewed public opinion data, U.S. Census data, consumer credit histories, home ownership rates, and more. A survey conducted by UC San Diego did find that 23 percent of Californians are seriously considering leaving the state, though that number has been fairly static over the past few years. California lost a congressional seat in January due to a slower population growth rate. Intense heat is on its way to San Diego County mountains and deserts this weekend. The National Weather Service says places like Borrego Springs could reach upwards of 118 this weekend. The NWS has issued an excessive heat warning for Saturday and Sunday from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. each day. The NWS says Borrego Springs in particular recorded its hottest average temperatures ever in June. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with with me for more of the local news you need.
2: Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right, this year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hoenn family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hoenn Carlsbad dealerships or hoennmotors.com.
1: The city of San Diego is outfitting eight of its rec centers, fire and police stations with solar panels and giant batteries. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen says the goal of the so-called microgrids is to increase power reliability in the face of climate change.
3: Right here, we're going to have a bank of battery energy storage.
4: Lindsay Hawes walks me around the Memorial Rec Center in San Diego's Logan Heights neighborhood, where next year, the city will install its own renewable power generating system. Rooftop solar panels will power the building's lights, computers, and pool pumps. And if there's ever a blackout, the building can run on the batteries, independent from the SDG&E electrical grid.
3: We know that with climate change disruptions to our energy supply are increasing and whether again it be a public safety power shutoff or a wildfire or some other disaster. The question isn't when or isn't if it's when and so we want to be prepared.
4: The microgrid model, decentralized energy generation and storage, is increasingly popular nationwide. The company building the city's microgrids, Gridscape, says the approach can help cities, schools, grocery stores, and other businesses save money and be more resilient.
5: We need a solution that's more distributed in nature so that there's no single point of failure. And microgrids provides you with that. And we literally need millions of these to to make up the grid so that it becomes stable and meets everybody's needs.
4: Construction on the microgrids is expected to start in May of next year. City officials estimate they'll save taxpayers $6 million in energy costs over 25 years.
1: That was KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen. In the meantime, our hot summer is raging on, and California power managers can't say with confidence that there will be enough power available to keep the lights on and the air conditioners going. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson has more.
2: Last summer was brutal for California electricity providers. Five times they had to ask the public for emergency conservation in an effort to keep the lights on. Conservation fell short twice, and San Diego dealt with rolling power outages. The power supply picture doesn't look much better this year.
0: We have seen that some of the resources that were procured uh, have run into some supply chain issues.
2: Grid manager Elliot Mainzer says reserves that eventually were unavailable helped cause last summer's rolling blackouts. He says wildfires, drought... And widespread heat only make things worse. We still import about a quarter of our electricity from out of state. So when it gets simultaneously
0: hot in the Pacific Northwest and in the desert Southwest and in the Intermountain West, the amount of power available to California for imports can get stressed.
2: San Diego Gas and Electric's Carolyn Wynn says the utility has bought more backup power, added battery storage, and utility managers hope... Conservation keeps things from getting worse than last summer. Last August, our
4: customers really showed up and they conserved energy. So customers make a big difference when our grid is strained.
2: Wynn also acknowledges that problems with the electrical grid in other regions could also impact locals. Officials say the supply probably won't change much over the summer, so they'll have to rely on customers to pick up the slack.
1: And that story from KPBS environment reporter. Eric Anderson. For years, law enforcement agencies investigated when an officer shot and killed an unarmed person, and district attorneys decided on the charges. That's until now. KPBS's John Carroll tells us about a new law that puts the state Justice Department in charge.
3: Like any major American city, San Diego has had its share of officer-involved shootings that result in the death of an unarmed person. But a new law, Assembly Bill 1506, changes the way those fatal shootings are processed. We must have accountability and we must have transparency. For California Attorney General Rob Bonta, AB 1506 is personal. He co-authored the legislation when he was in the Assembly. Bonta says it's all about building trust between law enforcement and the communities they serve, especially communities of color. Impartial, fair investigations and independent reviews of officer-involved shootings
0: are an essential component for achieving that.
1: I think it will make a huge
4: difference on the Um, building of trust in the community as well as actual justice.
3: San Diego civil rights attorney Genevieve Jones-Wright says she thinks San Diego district attorney Summer Steffen will welcome the state involvement. We reached out to the DA's office a few times today. We didn't get a response, but though Jones-Wright says the DA's public statements will probably be positive, she also says the proof will be in the pudding.
4: Will the DA's office actually change the way that they pursue justice or not pursue justice in other cases involving law enforcement?
3: Two investigative teams are now in place, one in Sacramento and one in Los Angeles. They will immediately be called in when an officer shoots and kills an unarmed person. Then, the Department of Justice will issue a decision one way or the other. Either through a written report explaining why charges are not appropriate, or we will file criminal charges. Bonta says he expects 40 to 50 incidents every year requiring state involvement. He says the investigative teams are on the ground now and ready to go.
1: And that reporting from KPBS's John Carroll. Coming up, a San Diego County supervisor is shifting the focus of environmental justice.
6: For a long time, it's the nonprofit organizations, environmental justice organizations that have been doing the work that government should have been doing from the beginning.
1: Nora Vargas talks about change on the Board of Supervisors. Plus, we'll have a story about how one local nonprofit caught the attention of a billionaire. All that's next, just after the break.
0: KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, and Healthcare and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu.
1: San Diego County is spending more than a million dollars to set up an Office of Environmental and Climate Justice. Supervisor Nora Vargas asked to create the office, and all of her fellow board members agreed. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson sat down with Vargas recently to discuss the issue.
6: For me it was really important to create an office of environmental and climate justice that really was going to ensure that you had folks that were going to be looking every day their job is to wake up and look at um, the world from an environmental and climate justice lens which means looking at environmental racism right in our communities which means looking at you know the tox the toxins um, in in our region uh, you know the contamination and and it, it was bigger, you know, it was part of my bigger environmental package, but for me it was really important that we had an office that that really is going to have people who are dedicated to looking at the world from that lens.
2: Help me define environmental justice as you perceive it.
6: We're really proud of being a binational community, but if you think about uh, the uh, emissions from the long hours uh, of folks waiting at the border, um, all of these uh, issues are impacting a community that because of their zip code, have been uh, you know, greatly, I think, hurt by uh, these policies that didn't really take them into consideration. Can you give
2: me an example of how this county office might impact a piece of legislation that the supervisors would consider?
6: What I keep saying to folks is for a long time, it's the nonprofit organizations, environmental justice organizations, that have been doing the work that government should have been doing from the beginning, and so what we are doing now is government is taking that responsibility and ensuring that folks have the information that they need, and that we are um, actually going to be able to get their input as we're making, um, you know, the policies moving forward.
2: Why do you think the supervisors are ready to make this
6: change? I came here to do a job on behalf of the community, and that's and that's what we're doing, and and so. This is a new Board of Supervisors. We have the will and, and uh, to really make a difference, and we have a short amount of time to do it, and so we have no time to waste.
2: Community members have been raising these issues, but why is it now that this is sort of kind of coalescing in organizations that have the ability to make change?
6: I mean, I think it goes back to decades of organizing in our communities, right? I mean, I started this work 25 years ago, and we have all, um, worked side by side in terms of doing the the equity-minded work, right? And whether it's healthcare, the environment, economics, justice issues, uh, transportation, housing, we know that they're all integrated. And I think if anything, the last administration demonstrated how important making decisions based on science uh, is for our communities, right? I think about how COVID, I think, has you know, when we talk about the impact of COVID, particularly in communities of color, the Latino community, um, the communities across the county of San Diego, zip, it, again, it was the issue of, of where you lived that made a difference on whether or not you were going to have access um, to vaccines or access to, to testing. And we shifted that around in a really short amount of time because we looked at the data, we looked at, uh, at the health equity index, and we decided that that's what we were gonna prioritize because the county of San Diego is the safety net for so many folks that for many reasons haven't have had access you know, for years. And so for me, I think it's it really is um, a new day in the county of San Diego. And I think for what you're seeing in government, it's a real true partnership between elected officials and, um, community organizations, and advocates. And, and I do believe that the will of county staff is there to be able to make a difference.
1: That was San Diego County Supervisor Nora Vargas talking about environmental justice with KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson. A local nonprofit has received a no-strings-attached donation from one of the richest people in the world. KPBS's Melissa May tells us about the group working to empower at-risk youth through the arts.
5: A student plays an original song in a recording studio at the David's Harp Foundation, an organization that's about more than just music.
0: What we offer is a safe space for young people to be able to come, to learn something new, but also to meet somebody
2: new.
5: Brandon Stepp is the founder and director of David's Harp, bringing at-risk youth together through the arts since 2007. He says it all started with a music studio he built in his father's garage in southeast San Diego.
0: Eventually, I let young people come in and trade good grades for studio time in that space. What I got to see is that when young people came into that space, they were different.
5: That studio garage grew into a nonprofit organization that started bringing music into schools, teen shelters, and eventually to the juvenile justice system. The foundation is named after the biblical David and the harp he played to lift the torment of the king. Step says just like the king, many of the students are tormented with potential gang involvement, homelessness, and even substance abuse.
0: When they came into that studio space and they interacted with music, it's like the torment would be gone.
5: That's Riley playing some beats for us. He doesn't want his full name used because he's still on probation. He was in juvenile detention when he connected with David's harp.
4: When they came, it's like a little light always came with them, like straight up. It, it's good in there. Like when they came, there was no, no arguments, no nothing. We just wanted to be here with the music and the good people.
5: Riley now works for the foundation and knows what it means to at-risk youth.
4: I mean, it helps kids out because it helps them get back on their feet, you know. It surrounded them by good people, good equipment. Can't go wrong.
5: Kasimi Childress is a David's Harp success story. He says he came from a family plagued by drugs and grew up in a group home.
4: I definitely think I would have been a menace to my own society. I, I think I definitely would have been part of the problem, and not part of the solution.
5: An advocate connected him to David's Harp because of his love for music. He now serves on the foundation's board.
4: Don't ever pay it back. Pay it forward. So just understanding the value of that is something that I took from this program.
5: Childress spent three years in the program. He's now graduating early from the University of Laverne with plans to become an attorney, but music will always be a part of his life.
4: Music is forever,
0: will be my place of peace.
5: The program is about more than just peace. Step says the students are also learning some important job skills.
0: We initially start with art, so we're teaching young people music production, videography. They're learning audio engineering, they're learning applied physics, they're learning about light and color and sound.
5: The group's work attracted the attention of billionaire philanthropist Mackenzie Scott. She gave David's Harp a donation of $1 million.
0: I have no clue how Mackenzie Scott found out about us, honestly. We are a small nonprofit here, but what I know is the community is very authentic, and the word has spread kind of quickly nationally.
5: David's Harp is now in the Moniker Warehouse in downtown San Diego.
0: It was the perfect space because here it is along the trolley tracks where young people can access it. And it's in a gang-neutral area, which all of those were essential.
5: Step says the donation will help build creative centers in different parts of the county. He says the foundation wants to partner with more community members to foster more creative youth development opportunities. A long way from that studio in a San Diego garage.
1: And that story from KPBS's Melissa May.